Hello and welcome back to season four, another episode of Black Woman Voices and it's Dr. Ann. Oh my God, it's so hard to keep saying that, but I'm here with my co-host. Yes, you got to keep saying it. If you have to say it to yourself every hour, other hour, even in your sleep, keep saying it because you're a doctor. And guess what? It ain't going to change. But this is Dr. K <laughs> down here in the current cold, cold, snowy weather. Uh, Greenboro, North Carolina. Awesome. This is Dr. V coming to you from Kansas. Aww. And we have with us an, our, our, an amazing, amazing guest. We have L'Oreal Patterson, who is um, going to chat with us today. We are excited to have this conversation um, because it is it is something that is happening. We, I know I see it all over social media and in, in the Facebook groups, you know, this mass exodus from higher education as a field. And we thought we would just, you know, come together and, and talk about um, what it is and and really just get give some perspective on it, right? Because um, I think it's more amplified now because of COVID, but I think the mass exodus been started been yeah. started so yeah. so i guess i'll start off with the question um and l'oreal feel you know love you to chime in you know you left higher education and so i guess what were some some things what were some of your rationale for for leaving higher education as a profession um yeah so to be completely transparent i don't feel like it kind of came out of nowhere um, I think that while I was even in graduate school, I had some doubts about um, the longevity of me being in higher ed. Um, now, I will also give the caveat that I was in housing, um, and I quickly learned in housing, you have a very different experience <laughs> than everybody else. Yeah. So I want to give that caveat before we get too far into this conversation. Um, because when you are in housing, you are on the clock 24-7. Um, and for people who work in other administrative offices, they get to go home. Um, so I do want to say that. Uh, but uh, in graduate school, I do feel like I learned it very early on. Um, I think some of the things that contributed is I'm very much like the type of person who likes to live in a city. I like the busyness. I like people. I like accessibility. Um, and while, yes, there are schools that exist in those spaces, it's very challenging to get into those schools. Um, and so I was always living in the middle of nowhere, and that did not fit who I was as a person. Um, I like balance. Um, I'm always a promoter of self-care. Uh, it was very hard to do that in housing because you are literally where you live, where you sleep is where you work. Um, and you're constantly accessible to people. Um, I also think personally for me, this is not everybody, um, it was too much emotional labor. Um, I feel like I was like literally being like a therapist and then I'm giving academic advice. And then I'm like, it's just, it was a lot, like a lot of, um, interfacing with people that left me completely drained to where I didn't even want to kick it with my friends after work. I was just tired. Um, and then honestly, I just think for me, once again, it was the imbalance of work for pay. Um, money isn't everything, but making good money does change your quality of life. Um, and unfortunately for me, I just felt like this type of money that I was making and for the skill set that I felt I had, I think that I was boxing myself into a space that was just not going to give me the quality of life that I wanted. So just to kind of touch on it, I think those are some of the things that contributed to my decision. Listen, you are preaching. Um, <laughs> as a former uh, administrator in housing, I felt every part of that. I got into housing, I was 26 when I started working in housing and stayed for five years and everything you said I agree with and it as you were talking about the different kind of titles in terms of felt like being a therapist I thought about um, the concept of other mothering uh, right especially when I was at a predominantly white institution and being kind of a other mother to the black students right and then the different it was a whole different exposure at an HBCU but I after five years if I never have 
his stuff inside of this hall, even to use the bathroom, okay, because it is taxing. And that whole idea of living where you work, though, when you're coming out of a, like, for example, a grad program, it sounds nice because I don't have to pay rent and all those things, but I, I don't mind paying it because it is after, I think it's just different. <laughs> it's different. So I, I have a question for you. So it sounds like you really kind of took the took the time to like take stock in what was happening. So thinking like the well-being and the self-care. So like was was there something that happened that you were just like, what was what was the catalyst? Like what was the one thing that you were like, and this is it? This this is it. I mean, you know, like what you know what I'm saying? You know, like what was that? Because I think all of us who are, you know, who, who are currently in have had those moments where it's like, man, oh man, I'm tired of, you know, uh, you know, I've had some good days, you know, like all, you know, we all have these times, but like, what was it that you were like, and I'm done, let's close the book and let's move on to the next in my passion to pursue my passion. Like, what was that for you? Um, you know what, to be honest, I think in my last year of working at housing, I didn't recognize who I was. Like, I think I was, first of all, I think I, unfortunately, um, did what is called like a lot of trauma bonding will probably be the name. And that's like loosely put. Um, but I found myself to where I was constantly complaining about work to anybody who would be willing to listen. Um, and I think I went from complaining with my coworkers during the day to complaining with friends and significant others after work. Um, and it took for somebody to bring it up and be like, dude, you always complaining about work. And I'm like, damn, dude, you right. Like, I think I was just kind of lost myself because I was so unhappy because I was so like wrapped up in work because there was all like, the thing is, um, unfortunately, I think things desensitize you when you work in a certain type of environment. And I was getting to that point um, where certain things that happen that are very much crisis matters in the real world were no longer of a crisis to me. Um, and I was just like, I don't even care. <laughs> like, I'm like, let's just go through the procedure. Hurry up, let's wrap this up. I got stuff to do, I'm ready to go home. Like. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I just was completely checked out. And that is so unfair to people who this is their first time experiencing this. And they're literally like having an emotional breakdown. And I'm right. standing on the side like, oh my God, y'all are wearing me out. Like when I made it about me, that was the problem. And it wasn't about me, but I think it got what well, really was the tipping point. Cause I, I don't think it was necessarily one particular incident. I think it was a buildup of incidents and what felt like things that never changed. Because the problem for me was, I was like, if I just pick the right school and if I just get the right team and if I just live in the right city, all of this will be taken care of. Like, it'll fix all of my problems. And when I moved from school to school and for me, it started to feel the same. I was like, I don't think this is gonna change y'all. <laughs> like I started losing hope. I started losing faith that there was a right school, that there was a right team, that there was a right leadership I needed to be under. Um, I just couldn't see it for myself. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, this just isn't working. Like, I just had to be honest because like I said, I was just unhappy. I didn't want to be bothered with nobody. And when I did talk, it was just always so negative. And that's not who I am as a person. But at the time I was just so negative about my environment. And it just wasn't fair to me. I'm like, I'm too young for this. Like, I felt like I should have been living my best life. And I was somewhere cooped up in an apartment, um, not wanting to do nothing because I was so exhausted after work every single day. It just wasn't you, fun anymore. Do you think, do you think it was connected to the position of housing? Or do you like, do you think this would have changed if you would have, you know, moved to another functional area? Because we all know that housing is can suck you in like nobody's business but like do you think that it was housing or do you feel like it was like if you would have went to a fun another area do you think it would have been different for you it's kind of hard to say um it's kind of hard to say because I didn't get a full experience in another person's area um and I think sometimes it can be very easy to glamorize that which you have not had exposure to um so it's kind of hard to say that per se um, because I think also sometimes when I would, as a person who worked at a university, talk to other people who work at the university, everybody just seemed like they weren't enjoying the experience. Um, and I just don't know what that's about. Um, everybody just kind of felt like at the time that they just weren't feeling it. So, oh, I'm overworked. Oh, we ain't getting paid nothing. Oh, it just felt like I was constantly 
in conversation with people who is like, we're stuck. And I'm just like, I don't want to be stuck. I'm like, I don't have any, I have nothing tying me down to this space. And so I need to move like that. Um, and I think one of the biggest things for me um, was that I, I felt like I had allowed a lot of fears of the unknown to keep me in a space. So like much like how Dr. K talked about like paying rent, um, I let that fear, I'm like, oh my God, but rent is so expensive and I got this set up here where it's all free and da, 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 da. But then I thought to myself, like, girl, millions of people are out there paying rent every day and they making it work. You can go make it work. Figure it out. You know what I'm saying? But that was the thing. That people who, when you don't know no better, you don't know no better. Right. Um, and that was one of the things that like I allowed people to put their fears on me. And like at one point, I will not name the school, but I quit with no job, lined up. And everybody, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? And I'm like, I'm gonna figure it out. Like, I don't know. I just know I don't want to be here no more. So here <laughs> I, like I just want to say that, that that last one sounds like, <laughs> you know, and this, we hear this, that sounds like almost bullying. Like, what, you mean? what am I gonna do without you? As if you, you don't do everything, like you do everything. For, like when I hear people's, you know, we all hear the stories, read the uh, stuff where people are talking about some terrible experiences yeah. in the higher education space, especially um, black people. Because that's that's what I be reading is the black people who are just talking about the intense um, issues that are happening on these on on campuses who will want to work in these environments and, and, and a lot of times, to be honest, we didn't know that student affairs was a career path so so Let's now there. yeah so now we here thinking oh it's wonderful it's great we get to live and work on a college campus and now you're gonna talk to me crazy now this student gonna say something crazy to me now I have to put up with someone who is crying that they broke up with their boyfriend all weekend like no just like, well, you got somebody I'm over here not <laughs> like, listen girl you better make it work <laughs> it, it's you know it's you know and like you said it's like this whole student affairs career snuck up like snuck up on us like where does it come from and now you want to take us out of here absolutely not Mm-mm. not in the year of my lord no you won't <laughs> not happening but it's interesting i mean i definitely had a corporate america background prior to coming to higher ed and you know, along with some of the stuff that you talked about, I think the one thing is money. Like, let's be real. You know, we work in in really a profession where um, the higher you go, the more you get paid. Um, But mm, we make a lot of provisions and we make a lot of decisions to hire people in, in the higher education space. And then we, the ones who are under them, end up training them, making them better with no compensation, with no ability to be promoted, and Mm -hmm. um, trauma, all in one thing just to just come along with it. So can we really blame people for leaving a a field that, that on its very head does not respect them financially right the, a lot of us are first generation mm-hmm. going into spaces yeah where you are keeping me essentially in a poverty state mm-hmm. come on are you preaching tonight but i also think a lot of us have been socialized to believe that you know as a people you know it took us a long time to get here so you don't just quit a job without having nothing like I, I think there's a socialization piece that we receive that a lot as a community that it's like, no, you, no, you, you know, like I, I, I was listening to something they were talking about. Our grandparents never asked if they were happy in their jobs. They just did their jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, we are in these different times where it's just like, no, I actually can think about, you know, am I happy about it? And if I'm not, it's time to change it if I'm not. Right. And it's right. just like, these are, we're making moves and we're making decisions that our ancestors could never have dreamed of. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, we're walking in a way to say, I don't have to put up with just anything just for the job, especially yeah. after you've kind of received the education and the, the experience. But I think that's another piece too. Like, I don't know that we often think about the transferable skills that we learn while we're working these housing jobs that will translate into other spaces that'll pay us more. It's like working in housing, you can do anything. It's if you make it there, like New York, you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Cause you know how to do a lot. You, I, I remember yeah. doing housing. I won't announce the place that I did it, but I remember the, the person who hired me, he said, you know, you're not who, you're not who we thought we were going to get. And I said, well, you know what? I also decided that after this, I don't ever want to work in housing in my entire life. So thank you for that. <laughs> I learned. <Wow. laughs> yeah, he said, hey, you aren't what I was yeah. like, you, you aren't what I wanted either, sir. <laughs> so yeah. I, I have my, my question or, um, yeah, my question is going off of um, Valerie in terms of transferable skills. So when you think about the transferable skills, from being in higher ed student affairs, how what does that look like for you now? How are you, if you are using any of those skill sets um, in your current profession? Yeah, so it's so crazy because I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Um, I completely agree with you. Like I would not be where I'm at doing what I'm doing if it weren't for all the transferable skills that I got in housing. Um, and I can honestly contribute a lot of that to my graduate experience. While I may have felt like, I don't know if this was for me, um, I still did the job. I still showed up every day. I still gave it what I could, despite my reluctancy of thinking, will this be long-term? Um, I don't know if I want to drop any names, but the director, the person who was my director during my time as a, as a grad, um, instilled in me, poured into me. And that, like, that's something that I can be thankful for. Um, but I will say that like right now, so just, I guess, putting it out there, I'm a director of education at a nonprofit in Austin. Um, and what we do is workforce development for people who are living in poverty to try to give them upskilled jobs to lessen the uh, unemployment gap. Um, and this is the job that I have probably been the most happiest at in my entire life that I can think of right now. Um, and the ways in which it contributed is Um, Within about two years of being there, I originally came as a program manager, and within about two years of being there, they approached me um, about being the director of education because of my skill set. And because of that, also, um, I have led, I don't even know how many different types of, like, things at work, like projects, like, um, when we have to hire, interviewing people. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have plenty of experience with that. Because in housing, people always take you to conferences, or you're interviewing constantly for the turnover, whether it's a graduate student a CA or um, student uh, worker or um, a professional staff member, graduate, whoever, you're constantly interviewing. Um, Or budget stuff, like I oversee budget. That's because in housing, at some point, you oversee the budget for your building. Um, And supervision, you don't get enough of that. Listen, if you don't get nothing else, you're going to get some supervision. And so being able to have conversations that are difficult or being able to hold stuff accountable, but also still being able to give praise um, it's something that I learned while being a graduate student and as well as my professional experience. Um, so I can't even say enough about the transferable skills. The one thing I will say is that I know that had I not gone through what I went through, I wouldn't have the experience to be able to be in the role that I am and be trusted um, with nothing but autonomy within my role from my executive director um, to do what I need to do. And so I will say that because of housing, um, you know, I go in and I'm confident Um, I think when I first got there, I definitely experienced like some, um, what do you call it when you have like doubt? I don't know why I'm slipping up on the word. Imposter syndrome, maybe? Yes. When I first got there, I definitely had imposter syndrome. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that may have just been left over from my previous experience. But I think over time, as I kept um, just kind of showing up once again every day and doing my job, um, I think they noticed kind of like what um, Dr. Valerie talked about is like, oh, you kind of not who we thought we was going to get, but shout out to you. Like, you know a lot. And I'm like, well, I just had these experiences. Um, So that's the one thing I will say is sticking it out worked in my favor because when I got to where I was, it wasn't a fake it till you make it. I had made it. And so I didn't have to fake it. And so I was good. Come on. (laughs) I I think that's really important 
for you to say and for us and others to hear because a lot of times as we know the the big exodus whatever they're calling it people leaving higher ed the first thing is what am I going to do how can I leverage my experience especially if higher ed is the only experience that you've had professionally how can I leverage that somewhere else and for those that work um, in housing I'm always talking about well housing is nothing short of hospitality you know working in the hospitality field you know and how to transfer those skills um event planning you know a lot of corporations um are hiring event planners or someone to oversee a project or event so being able to articulate these are the experiences i've had in higher ed what does that look like outside right and nine times out of ten you're probably gonna make a little bit more money <laughs> and as you said be a little bit more happier <laughs> a lot more money and i will say in my experience because i didn't know what that transition of higher ed to non-higher ed looked like um mm -hmm. i learned very early on to outsource it's like okay if i don't understand what i'm doing i need to figure or find out a way to navigate this space because i don't know what i don't know so right. at the time because i was working at housing and you know you can save money I got me a black woman as a career coach and I let her know said, hey, I work in higher education. I am looking to transition out. I really don't know what I want to do, but these are the skills that I have. And so she and I had a very heart to heart conversation. Um, she helped me get my resume together. Um, she helped me get my cover letter together. And wow. I just like, did like some little career assessments to try to navigate like what space I wanted to move into. And she was a good investment and I still keep in touch with her today. She helped me get my LinkedIn together um so my thing is just definitely for anybody who is considering it and prefer to have a plan invest in a mm -hmm. career coach um because mm -hmm. it can very much be worth your money and worth your time if you don't know like how do i size this five page resume down to one they can help you that part <laughs> that part um and what you you know and i think that's the other thing like people don't necessarily invest in themselves enough especially in the career career space um which which actually is a it's a huge and it's a great investment and it's not as like I tell people if you bought a few um pairs of shoes and you out here shopping and living it up then you really can't afford to invest in a career coach because at the what end of the of day shoes? huh what kind of shoes though it don't matter. I know <laughs> Dr. K is a sneaker head. I know. I I'm know. Sneaker. But what I'm saying is, you know, people people don't invest, and and exactly. I find that people will will say say different things, and I and I look at them, and I'm like, but so you'll invest in things that are not um, that will depreciate, which are things, <laughs> and not in knowledge, which is something that will only get better with time. That advice, that wisdom, that assistance is only going to help you in the long run. So I don't know. So I am a career coach. Dr. K is a career coach. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, and so you're talking to different people. Mm -hmm. and, and also I was in the hospitality industry. If I don't say anything else to anybody, I tell people all the time, higher education lacks customer service and leadership development skills, which is interesting because we steady trying to put it into students, but we don't have it for the very people that work here. And so mm. we don't really know how, you know, how those things, and yes, you can pay more money in other industries to do this. So you know, to some degree, they make it seem like it's a labor of love. And there is love in this. Don't get me wrong. There, there are bright spots. You know, I think my, my next question is really about, well, what does that mean? Especially if we see a mass exodus of Black folks from higher education. What does that mean for the campuses that we work on, especially if you're at a PWI? Um, and you know, it's only like one and a half black people anyway, and some of these spaces, you know, and really should we care? Like, what is the level of care that we have to, that, that we feel like we should have in that? That's open to everybody. <laughs> Listen. <clears throat> mm. So first, I want to validate that a lot of people and i'm gonna go ahead and say a lot of black people don't invest in themselves because when they don't know how to they're waiting on someone else to invest in them 
uh, and typically those people are probably not the right people to invest, invest in them because their goals become somebody else's goals. Mm -hmm. The other piece is when I, when I think about the space and, and you know this whole idea of labor of love when it comes to black women and working in higher ed, passion work, you know, that whole, if no one else would do it, if, if I don't do it, who else will do it? And being in a space, um, especially at a predominantly white institution where you're probably one of very few, I, I think it has to, you know, we had a guest, Dr. Tayari Wilson, and she said this, and I have not let it leave my soul. And she said, will something about the, to the fact of Will you sacrifice your wellness for success? And it was one of the most powerful things that I ever heard because it, for me personally, thinking about being at a PWI or any institution for that matter, where I feel like I'm not getting paid my worth compared to other people, you know, doing either the same thing or having less education than me getting paid. I don't feel valued, appreciated, et cetera. I feel like you call on me to do everything. I'm on everybody's committee because I'm good at what I do, right? And you're utilizing all my skills in some way, but yet not giving me the voice of power, power over myself. And I think at some point we need to have those conversations with other black women but within that, when you, we recognize that, that other black woman ain't gonna move, ain't gonna do nothing, then that's it. Sis, whatever makes you happy, be happy. I pray for you on the other side, but I'm gonna be out of here. But we have to get to the point where, you know, uh, what was said earlier in terms of what's best for me, you know, um, because we got one life to live. And a lot of us, most of us didn't get into higher ed as part of a client. Like we said earlier, we didn't even know this was really a career. So for me, from a spiritual space, I think about, I got here because God, it was something God wanted me to learn in this space. And I think I've learned it. <laughs> and it's okay to move on because then we get hit with, well, I can't leave my students. Baby, them students graduate go on, make good money, and then come back and be like, why are you still here? And you actually say, I have no idea. We have to take ownership of our, of our own being. Uh, we can't continue to let spaces and people dehumanize us as Black women um, and think it's okay. We, we can't. At some point, we got to, listen, we got to throw the deuces up and be out. Not here for it. Mm -mm. I think that's okay. powerful though, because I think so many of us get into it thinking, well, we're, we, you know, we needed, uh, we, we want to be the people who we needed when we were there, right? But then at what point does that stop? Does it become more about that and less about my well being, right? And it's funny because right. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine that I, I think she left higher ed. Um, and, I, and she was like, well, these students need me because they, they call her mama. She was everybody's mama. And she took pride in that. I was like, I'm nobody's mama. I, no, I didn't get I didn't get in the higher ed to be a mama. I'm, I'm not doing that. You're not going to call me. Like, you may, auntie is as close as I get. But mama, I'm drawing the line. Chalk, you know. And, and she was in a toxic work. She was getting cussed out by her supervisor. He was like a Joe Clark. Everybody knew. He was the Black man that everybody protected, but they also didn't protect Black women. And I remember talking to her about, I was like, she's like, but they need me. I was like, but you need you more though. Yes. Like, he, is, he, is, he is violent. He's violence in his words. He, you know, he, and everybody knows it. And at what point do you say that it's more important for me to be well than it is for me to kind of be, these, be here for these students? These students didn't come here for you. They came to graduate. And that when point. they're done, they're gone. They didn't even and know you on campus. <laughs> they didn't even know you. They know you now, but they gonna live. Yeah. They gonna move on. And so it's mm -hmm. okay to prioritize yourself. And so she was an older, yeah. she was an older black woman. Uh, but I remember having that conversation with her. And but I also I have to always tell myself that too. And it's like if there's a space where I'm not well, it's gonna be about me first. Yeah. And, and all of the dimensions of wellness. Yeah. 
Because if we really think about this whole idea of, you know, I need to be there for the students, what are we really showing them? What are we really instilling in them if we continue to show up in spaces that we know we're not well, we're not honored, we're not valued? What are we showing them? So. No, you're right. Go ahead, Loria. Oh, no, I just, I completely agree, um, especially with the aspect of students graduating, like trying to stay there. And then they're like, wait, well, you gonna leave me? I'm like, you about to leave me in a year. And you ain't gonna right. think about me when you leave. You're gonna go and live your life. Like, let me live mine. Um, and I don't know, I kind of wonder, like, is it the Black community's responsibility per se? Like, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of, I don't know where my thoughts lay on that. Um, because I also just wonder if it is the Black community's responsibility, then like, how are the Black community, much like what um, Dr. K said, like, how is the Black community then being, I guess, supported, listened to, like, oh, I don't know, all these things, um, and not just kind of being like a workhorse or just called on mm -hmm. when it's like, we need a token person to come and speak for the whole Black community on campus. Right. It's like, geez, this is a lot of responsibility. How did I get here? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is happening? Um, and so I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I think that's just a, a very, that's a lot to carry on your back. It's mm -hmm. the show, your responsibility. I just think that's a lot. I, I agree. It is a ton to carry, to carry on you. I think that, I, so I think it goes back to messaging, right? And so in the Black community, oftentimes you have families, parents, extended family, pushing Black people to go to college, go yeah. to college. So, and then they get there, unless they're going to an HBCU with the faculty, the staff and faculty, you know, and, and maybe some more reflective of them, we're pushing them into these spaces. And then the people who are in the space, so now you got people who are traumatized leaving the space all while. And so I, I, I think that it's a complex situation, right? Where there's only, you know, you don't wanna be the only, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, but also helping students to, I say it all the time, I say the same thing. Y'all gonna be here four or five years, six years, maybe. But if you come back and you've been here, once you get through two rotations those students are gone and even mm -hmm. worse y'all don't even want to give back no money to the university help somebody to help the ones <laughs> that's here still that have to go through this you know um but i think we we really do ourselves a disservice with some of the messaging is what i'm getting to some of the messaging both in higher ed and in black communities regarding education and regarding yeah. pursuit of education. And not that I don't believe that education is a, is a great tool for liberation. I don't necessarily know if pushing students into situations without fully vetting how that is, but the same thing like a professional. Why do we go into situations without fully vetting what that situation is going to do with our mental and physical health, right? We yeah. don't do it. We don't, yeah. and and and, um, I think we also need to start challenging institutions. If they don't want black people to leave in mass, then what you going to do about it? How are you going right. to support people so that they don't leave? How are you going mm -hmm. to equalize the work or do something different than what you're doing? Because quite honestly, your policies, your procedures, it's all very is giving me. I'm ready to quit and move to something else. Yeah, but I yeah. guess I, I guess I circle back to the question of how much of that expectation of kind of how we function is a race and a gender dynamic. How much of that mm -hmm. socialization piece, which says that as women, particularly Black women, intersectional, there's something that happens that makes us feel that we need to care for, we need to take support, we need to do all of these things at the expense of our own well-being. And we've had these conversations about other mothering, but on the opposite end, this is the, the end result is we leave, right? And so at what, I guess it's a two-parter. 
where is the responsibility of the institution or is there a responsibility of the institution rather to really care for the ways in which particularly black women are being pushed out because of the intensity in terms of how we are utilized in these spaces like where is the institutional mm -hmm. responsibility of that 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 is ahead, a deep Dr. question and I'm, honestly i don't know uh an answer for it because a part of me you know a part of me goes back to if we, if we think about it from an equity standpoint what we do for our students and how we you know support our students etc we need to do the same thing for faculty and staff especially even more so now being that uh this everyone wants has to have a dei office um on a university level now what does that really look like what are you really doing besides just having an office at the university level what does that look like how are you supporting um those individuals that are different in demographics right from the dei perspective we, oh gosh don't get me started there's a lack of assessment you do things without asking people for their lived experience in order to use what they are giving you to make changes you just do so that's the first issue is that you don't involve the people that will um be beneficial the most benefit the most of your um of what you do into your policies and procedures, right? Um, and I say it every single time, the things that higher ed does, the theories, all of that is white men for white males. That's what it was created for. And so at some point we have to get to a space where we're in these conversations about, okay, these black women are leaving, what do we do? We're, well, look at, first of all, look at the table. Why ain't no black women at the table to help you have this conversation? I mean, good use of an exit interview, if you ask me. <laughs> if you do exit interviews, I think that's the other thing. But I, I think also the question is, let's just say, say the institution did all of that, right? Mm -hmm. they, they had the Black women at the table. They did the question, like, and, and Laura, chime in. Would, you, would it have kept you from saying, this is not for me? You know what I mean? Like, I'm wondering if they do all of that, if they had the black woman at the table and she was like, I'm about to do this and we need to do it. And they thought from a, um, a lens of, of us, would that keep you from, have kept you from leaving higher ed? The quick answer is no. <laughs> That's the quick answer. Um, but you know, I want to, let me answer Dr. Valerie's because I have one small comment and then I'm definitely going to jump to yours. Um, I'm hearing you when you say is that the institution's responsibility and maybe I've been too far removed from higher ed, but my instant answer is no. Um, universities are a business. Um, mm -hmm. On a whole higher level, they are a money generator, a money maker. Um, and the reality of the situation is, well, I don't know how it is now with, you know, COVID and everything, but people need jobs. So as much as it is, it's gonna always be a revolving door. Somebody will come work it if you don't want to. So if that black woman don't wanna be here, she can leave, we'll find another one. We'll have a whole bunch of them coming through. Um, so I don't know if there's really enough care and concern per se to feel like it is the university's responsibility. Um, because then it's also kind of like, is it the university's responsibility to make students of color feel comfortable? I think, you know, it's a lot of marginalized groups that are not necessarily comfortable on a college campus that nobody is rushing to be like, let's make sure those people are comfortable. Um, let's throw up some resource centers and make sure they have, you know, a space, a safe space. Like not to be whatever, but like how much of it is performative versus actually mm -hmm. like caring, like where's the investment? Um, I think also, so to answer Anne's question, Dr. Anne, baby, um, to answer her question, <laughs> um, personally, I just don't think the sitting at the table, the long discussions, the note taking, the debriefs, the follow-ups, the emails, the phone calls, none of it would have kept me personally. Um, I just think that very early on, I realized that environment was not one that I was going to grow in. I just don't feel like I would have been able to be my best self and contribute to a university setting for a very long time. Um, I think that it was cool for the time that it was, but I think long-term, there were so many other things that I wanted for myself that I knew 
it was not going to give me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like even little small stuff. Like I remember being in grad school and I was like creating a vision board and I was like, yeah, this thing gonna work. All this little stuff I got on my vision board, this space cannot give me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just things that I sometimes wonder kind of like, um, what Dr. K said of someone else saying, like, how much are you going to sacrifice for your well-being? It's like, how much are you going to sacrifice for your joy and your happiness? Um, because I don't want to, the thing that I realized is I didn't want to have a space where I was escaping from to find fun. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have a space where I was escaping from to find partnership. I didn't want to have a space that I was escaping from to just find peace. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't want to have to use a back door to get into my apartment because I didn't want nobody to see me going home. Like, I'm grown. I should be able to walk through when I want to. What is happening? Right. <laughs> like, for real. <laughs> you know, it was those, it was the small things, but the small things added up to the big things that yeah. I was just like, this is not. And that's the thing is, there are things that the institution, and once again, this is for a person working at housing, um, there are things that the institution could not control because they were just a part of the job that I signed up for. And so at some point, there was only so much that they could be like, well, you know, what do you want us to do? Um, and the reality is, what is the answer? So hypothetically speaking, let's say you got a little bit higher pay. Um, I don't know, you got some seats set. I don't know what seat that, the thing is, I don't even know what having a seat at the table, like what, what could be offered if right now the limitless possibilities were on the table and you sat at the right table or the black women sat at the right table right now and had a conversation with some university leadership individuals, what could be offered that at the end of the day, you would be like, and that's all that I wanted. Because mm -hmm. yeah, you can have money, but then what else? Yeah, Like I can't even think of it. And I think all that you're saying makes, um, reminds me of self-awareness and the fact that you had a level of self-awareness at a at an early stage in your career compared to a lot of black women since we're talking about black women they don't get that until well after at times you know once so many things have just accumulated and I really practice self-awareness because I don't know what I what happiness looks for me until I'm aware of who I am right that I, I i've loved and uh, like myself for who i am this is who i am this is what i need to be well i don't know how to articulate that until i articulate it to myself and sometimes that requires you going back to what you all said in terms of investment investing in someone that has the education to help you think through that and if we did that more on the front end of career coaching and getting before we get into our careers I think we'll be in a much better space to recognize, you know what, this is not the institution for me. The type of institution I'm looking for is X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, I enjoyed my time, my first two years, you know, in higher ed as a grad student. But in that, I recognize who I am. And higher ed is not where I need to be full time. Um, this is where I need to be. Not on my collaborating with higher ed, but for me to be a full time position there, no. And so I, I think the level of self-awareness is key for us when we think about the careers that we want to go into, um, but also just life in general. I agree. I do agree. Man, this conversation is really rich. Um, this, I mean, it's good because I can, a couple of things that I have taken away from it is one, you know, that the mass exodus and and really just exiting any career really doesn't have to be about you know I hate it here it could be like this is just not a good fit for me this is not the environment I love when you said this is not the environment that I can grow in and I think that that's important it's like understanding is this an environment you can grow in an environment meaning I took it to me um this this campus or this profession as a whole. Um, and, and, and so I took that away. I also took like, you know, we don't have to throw ourselves, you know, on, on, on the cross, so to speak. We don't have to, you know, 
hurt ourselves to help someone else's cause because I always, I like to say institutions institute, okay? And <laughs> you don't wanna be on the other end of that institute, but oftentimes as black women, we are. We are on the other end of that institution. And we talked a lot about student affairs. Um, we didn't even touch faculty. Like that's a whole nother conversation and them leaving um, or especially um, black people, right? Because you could take your expertise and your doctoral degree and make six <laughs> figures somewhere else and live and live a, a good life. Jesus paid it all. Can I? So I want to wrap up. I want to wrap us up. Does anybody have any kind of like final thoughts? Because I, I want to wrap us up because we'd be here all night talking about high red. I just want to um, thank you. Uh, for being here, being on the show, um, and having a very transparent and open conversation, um, because it's real, it's real life, and I, I hope that people, uh, the Black women, especially that are listening, and when they hear you, your story, and what you're offering, is that it can happen for them, mm -hmm. if it's meant for it to happen to them. You know, and I don't want people to think that, oh, we just need to leave because I'm unhappy, but really tapping into, you know, kind of what you were saying, uh, going back to that self-awareness, this is not for me. I know what I need to grow and this is not it, but really tapping more into that um, and then deciding for themselves what's next for me and it may not be in higher ed and it's okay. I second that I do want to say you know kind of just thank you for like your transparency, but also letting us know like the insight in terms of what went into you making the decision? Because I think all of us have days where it's just like, you know, I needed to, this weekend is going to be a good weekend. And then I'm going to go back and see how I feel, right? But you went the other step to say, not only is it going to be this weekend, but I think I need to do a change, right? And so I appreciated listening to kind of you in your thought process, but also hearing how valuable it was for you to be really, all everything to be in alignment, right? Like the happiness, but then also like growing, like all of that needed to come together for your job. Because I think about some, so sometimes we make decisions for the money. I mean, I had a really good conversation with a, a friend of mine that she was absolutely unhappy. She was making six figures, but it was not healthy to be able to do that. And so I appreciated your transparency, but also hearing that, because I think as we think about our current lives and whoever's listening and all of that, I think we can really be intentional about prioritizing ourselves as Black women, but then also making sure that if we aren't happy, it's okay to make a plan, because that's also what I took from you, of being able to be intentional about your next move and aligning yourself with folks who could help you make your next move. Absolutely. What's your oh. um, well, number one, I do want to say thank you all for allowing me to share this space with you. Um, I wish it was something like this that was available when I was in grad school or even as a young professional because um, a, much like what has been said, because we kind of don't know that this is like a career path, you kind of don't even know where to go for resources other than people who are around you. And so to have a podcast where you can hear so many different experiences from so many different people in different spaces in their life is powerful, um, especially when it comes from people who look like you is even more powerful. Um, I also just want to say for any Black women who are listening to this, um, while this is just a small, small, small piece of kind of what my journey was, it has not been just completely seamless. Um, and speaking about the fact that I did quit a job without a plan, um, during that time, I chose to go like a very humbling route um, where I worked at a daycare, hello, in a popcorn shop um, at the same time because I quit <laughs> a job with nothing lined up. Um, and through those experiences, though, it was very humbling for me because number one, um, I was placed in a space that I was feeling like what the hell? I have a whole master's degree. What am I doing here? Like, what is going on? Um, but it connected me with a space where I had a moment to think because the work wasn't strenuous. So in a way that I didn't know, it was a gift that I didn't even know I needed um, because I had complained about working so hard within the space that I was in that 
the universe gave me a gift of working in a space that didn't require a lot of me. And so it gave me time to think and to plan and to figure out what my next move was going to be. Because one thing about it is if you are just unhappy, regardless of the space you're in, you're going to be unhappy. Um, so until you fix whatever it is that you need to fix, that's going to allow you to enjoy life. Um, you're just going to be an unhappy person moving from one profession to another. And so it's just very important to figure that out. Um, but I say that to say that I remember um, when I was working at the daycare, it was a Starbucks that was like a mile away. And I remember going to the Starbucks and I took like a napkin and wrote down like affirmations. Like I am going to one day have a job that I'm going to be thankful to go to. I am going to a job that's going to pay me my work. All these different affirmations. And I still have that napkin to this day. Um, from a random Starbucks, because I knew that some moment these things were going to become true for me. It didn't even need to be on a piece of paper. I just knew that I needed to get it out because it was real. Hence the reason why I wanted to create journals, because I have lived that experience. Um, and so I say that to say, even if you have to go through some humbling experiences to figure out what's for you, be willing to go on a journey to figure out what's, will, like, what's good for you. Um, because as one of my, my really good friends taught me, there's no such thing as a little bit of doubt because even a little bit of doubt is too much. And so if you are in this space and you have doubt, listen to that intuition telling you, maybe your spirit is too big for where you at and you need to find some place to be. Okay. Everybody stop. Look at wow. Maybe your spirit wow. is too big for where you at. My God. My Come God today. Mike, drop. Now you mentioned something and I like how we just be dropping things, but we just not gone. And so tell us about the journal. Tell us, yes. give us that. Yes. Come on yeah. here. Well, um, much like a lot of people, which I didn't realize it was happening until it happened during 2020 and everybody was on lockdown. Um, I had a, a, a project, I guess you could say, or a plan or a goal or a dream or whatever, just a thought. Um, that I worked through that I wanted to create journals specifically for Black women. Um, it was something I had thought about for a while, but I had never dreamed of being an entrepreneur because I just, I don't know, that wasn't a goal. Um, but what I did know was that I love stationery. Anybody who know me know I got a bunch of pens, I got markers, I got this, I got that, I love the stickers, all that stuff. Um, but what I noticed is that it was not an industry that kind of thought of Black women. Um, I felt like it was kind of like a white stay-at-home mom industry, to be honest. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to create journals um, using cultural stands and references specifically for Black women for us to write down affirmations, to-do lists, goals, whatever, and for us to be able to manifest that, like I said, which already lives inside of us um, by trusting our intuition. Um, because even if you can't see it, if you can feel it, it's still real. And so that's why I created Shea Butter and Intuition specifically for Black women um, because I just believe when you write it down, you make it real and it's so powerful. Um, but so many people I think may not know that or sometimes may be reluctant, um, but I want to create and provide a safe space for Black women to be able to do so. Well said. I just, you're so flipping. Yeah, you're so flipping dope. I'm just saying, um, and we're going to drop the link to Shea Butter and, and Intuition in the show notes. And we'll make sure to get that in there because I, I bought one when they first came out because I was like, okay, and I saved it. I'm just going to tell you, I saved it. I, I saved it until this year. I just wrote it and I think I bought it right right when you first came out with it. And I, But I also think that what I hear from you is that, you know, thinking about life and your life's purpose and really where you want to go and what you want to do, that that actually left room for you to pursue some of these other things because you've been talking to, I mean, you were an avid writer, avid journaler, you know, for, for a very long time. So I guess I want to thank you for joining us because this was a, a very good and rich, deep conversation um and we hope that you know those that are listening would join in this conversation you know follow us on social media um and, and tag us as you are having these conversations in your circle because man we we really we we we, we all we got i mean i just want to say that like <laughs> we really are you know um but but yeah thank you again um yeah, Wells, I don't even know what else to say. 
she listen so said your spirit is too big I maybe too big for the space you in so how much mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're gonna do it right now. You need to put that on, on the front of one of them journals. Yeah, I should put that on the front of a journal. <laughs> you gotta put that on the cover. Yeah, Don't nobody take it. Out, girl. Better do it now. Somebody somebody do it. Because the trademark it ASAP. Right. ASAP because that is a very profound statement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true though. Mm-hmm. And and when I think about it, it can go so many ways right it can be oh my gosh it is right my spirit a good spirit but people got bad spirits too and so your bad spirit <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it right there okay we're gonna, we're gonna get oily not not that no we ain't gonna do it <laughs> but thank you so much <laughs> thank you for just being you yeah. um and and definitely looking uh i know me personally looking forward to to connecting uh, with you, um, I, I believe in manifestation from the depth of my souls. I am a manifester, so I, I know I have to be very mindful of my words. Uh, but thank you for what you do. Um, keep doing it. Um, and those that are listening, please, please, like Dr. Ann said, include us um, in some of the conversations that you're having on social media at Black Women Voices. That's B-L-K-W-O-M-Y-N-V-O-I-C-E-S. Yeah, it's been a while since I spelled like that. So, but at Black Women Voices, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Black Women Voices podcast on Instagram. Um, reach out to us via email at um, blackwomenvoices at gmail.com. We want to connect. We want to get you on the show, have some real conversations. Listen, if you're not trying to be transparent, this ain't the show for you. Nope. Come on. Come on. We want you to be better. We want you to grow from these yeah. conversations, right? We want to be better. Oh, we did have two other questions um, for you. If you could just talk to us about like what this space means to you, what this podcast, what this community, what these conversations, like, what does it, what does Black Women Voices kind of mean for you? Um, you know, I think first it feels warm if I had to describe it. Um, and that's because I think Black women to me have a way of just, we own spaces when we are in them. When we walk in, you will notice. And so I think the first thing is that it feels warm. Um, I think also at the same time, it feels powerful, almost like regal, if you will. Um, because a lot of people, it's that thing that said, like, you know, when Black people, when Black women are speaking, listen up. Um, and I do think that. I think that we, because of our placement when it comes to society, um, we just tend to know what's up because we're forced to. And so because we have to be in these spaces and we have to make these type of decisions, we become extremely good at it. Um, and why people don't trust us, we can see what those cannot see coming. And so when we warn you, listen. When we praise you, listen, you know, when we do these things, it's for a reason. Um, And I just think that not enough people are paying attention. And so when when I hear this, like Black women's voices, it makes me feel like calm. It makes me feel welcomed. Um, It makes me feel like I matter. Um, Because child, if I ain't gonna listen to nobody else, I'm gonna listen to a Black woman. Cause I'm like, sis, you know my struggle, so. Where, who else am I going to listen to? Anybody else can lead me astray, honey, okay? Don't trust me, please, stop. You do not pass go. Um, but no, when I when I think of Black women, though, because um, I want to very much get away from, like, the whole, like, strong Black woman narrative. Um, yeah. The death of the strong Black woman, that poem changed my life forever. And so I no longer look at it in that way. And if you've never read the poem, Death of the Strong Black Woman, definitely read it because it's a very good poem. Um, but yeah, when I think of it, I definitely think of like a, a warm space that is welcoming, um, a space that is safe, a space that is vulnerable, um, mm. a space where I can be myself, where I can do what I want to do without judgment and shame. Um, mm. And yes, yeah, just a space where I feel like the, I don't know, it's just very welcoming. That's the best way, like nothing, nothing that makes me feel like I have to be defensive or resistant. 
it's beautiful. revolutionary. Thank you. Thank yes. you. I love it. I love it. Like, okay, so we got we got we gotta cut it because we're gonna be here all night. Um <laughs> but this has been a, a very thought-provoking conversation. I'm really gonna take some of the things that we've discussed and just sit in it for myself personally. Um so thank you. Thank all of y'all. Just thank you. Love it. This is an amazing space. Like I said, I wish I had something like this way back when. So anybody who's listening, take full advantage because listen. Come on. It's needed. Free advertisement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, for thank you for listening and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Voices. Please join us on our next episode. Um, and, and if you, hey, you got some time, go on and listen to all the rest of the episodes from the past four seasons that you have or maybe have. Listen to a couple of them twice. Um, and then, you know, if you feel led, go ahead and, and, and review us. And so, and so that helps other people find our, our podcast. And so take yes. care and be well.